Yo, this is Restaurant Unstoppable, episode 248. Are you ready for it factors, success stories, failures, and bombs of restaurant industry knowledge? Then, join Eric Cacciatore and today's incredible guest as they share what it takes to become unstoppable. Are you short on time when it comes to training your restaurant staff? Well, if you are, don't worry. I'm sure you're not alone. But there is light at the end of the tunnel. You can find that light by visiting Tipsy for a whole library of video courses delivered by world barista champions, leading sommeliers, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Learn more by clicking the Tipsy banner in the show notes. If you choose to subscribe today, you'll get a special 50% discount because your restaurant unstoppable listeners get on it with excitement. Allow me to introduce to you today's guest shore Gregory with a name like shore and somebody who works in the oyster business. You've got to be feeling unstoppable, man. <laughs> I am. I'm excited to be here, Eric. Oh, man, I'm excited to have you. So, Shore Gregory grew up just south of Boston, Massachusetts, and started working in the oyster business while in college. Today, Shore is the founder and owner of Island Creek Oyster Bar, Road 34 Boston, Road 34 Portsmouth, and has a few more projects in the works. Uh, in addition to being the founder of some of Boston's premier seafood restaurants, in 2014, Shore was named one of Forbes Magazine's 30 under 30 in food and wine. And uh, this is just a huge aerial view of who you are, what you've accomplished. I can't wait to dive in deeper to your story, to your recommendations, to your advice. But before we do that, sure, hit us with some kind of motivational or inspirational quarter mantra. What do you got? Sure, yeah. So this is actually a relatively new one uh, that came to us through um, through a manager seminar that we hosted last week. We had a very special guest who joined us, and he said, uh, setbacks our setups for our comebacks. I love it. Setbacks are setups for our comebacks. Really dive into that quote. How does it resonate with you? And like, just get into like the core of that. Yeah. I think that, um, in business in general, and I don't think this is unique to the restaurant, uh, industry, but I think that we're all faced with, with continual adversity and sort of how we handle, uh, failure is such a big part of our, uh, daily lives in the sort of in the in the immediate sense, and then in the more macro sense. And I love this idea that um, of, of of wrapping our minds around the fact that setbacks are just a part of the longer trajectory of of our successes. And so, um, setbacks are moments where we can learn. Setbacks are moments where we can get better. Absolutely. And so, this idea that um, yeah, through those moments of of difficulty. We're actually learning and, and getting better and probably actually taking a step further down the path of where we want to be. Awesome, man. I love it. What a great way to get this interview going. And I love your story, uh, Gregory. Just be, or sorry, I'm going to do that a few times. <laughs> I love your story. It short. I love your story because I just love how you are constantly moving forward. And it seems like you have this knack for just surrounding yourself with incredible people and building awesome partnerships. So that's something I really want to start to or dive into. But let's kind of uh, shine a light on the path you took to get to where you are today. So, uh, Grew up South Boston, got started in the oyster business. Take it from there. Yeah, so grew up uh, south of Boston in a little town uh, called Duxbury, which sort of sits halfway between um, Boston and Cape Cod. I was actually born in Arizona, but moved to Duxbury when I was young. So grew up there, uh, was always on the water, loved being on the water. And I worked at a little yacht club in Duxbury. That was sort of my summer job all sort of growing up and through high school. Uh, and into college, and that is where I got to know Skip Bennett, who is the founder of Island Creek Oysters, and the first guy to sort of figure out how to grow oysters in Duxbury. And we got to know one another. We actually ended up spending some time. Uh, I worked on his oyster farm uh, in college, and then I was traveling for a couple of months after I finished college. I went to Trinity College in, in Connecticut, mm -hmm. and um, Skip joined me and one of my buddies for a couple of weeks in South America. And it was it was down there actually where 
we, Skip and I, started to talk more about what he was hoping to do with, with Island Creek Oysters and uh, in a very sort of fortuitous set of circumstances, I had the opportunity to, to go and work for Skip and uh, help him sort of figure out the business and the brand of Island Creek Oysters. So and, let's put a pause here real quick, Shore, because how did this conversation go? Like, did he see something in you? Did he tell you uh, what his plans were for you? And how did that all break down? Yeah, I mean, he's probably the better guy to ask the question of sort of what he saw in me. But um, I think that we had a, we have always had a sort of shared, we've always had a mutual connectivity, a sort of mutual respect for one another. Um, and, you know, this is going on 10 years now. And um, I think in the moment, it was probably he thought that uh, I was someone that could, could lend a hand. And, and our initial conversations were, hey, let's try this for six months. Let's see what happens. And we can sort of take it from there. And, and you know, in all honesty, I wasn't sure sort of how long it was going to go or how long uh, I would be there for. But we just sort of put our heads down and, and got to work. And, um, and I'm still and I'm still around in the sort of in the broader world of oysters and now restaurants. So you, you went to work for this guy, Skip, when you were in college or before college, uh, while you're in college, rather. And um, what do you think you were doing that made him see something in you? Like, how was it just the work ethic? Like, what do you think you had that made him so attracted to wanting to keep you around? Yeah, I think that um, it, I, you know, I hope that it was work ethic. I hope that it was, you know, he just saw in me someone that he could trust, someone that he could um would, would know that would work hard and would sort of put their head down and, and always be kind of willing to do what needed to be done to, to help the business. And, you know, in, in, in the early days when it was Skip and myself and um, a guy named CJ, who's awesome guy who was uh, driving the delivery truck, uh, you know, everybody had to do everything to sort of make every day work. And, um, and I, and I love that mentality because, you know, the, especially in the restaurant business now, sure, there are sort of siloed positions, you know, everybody, uh, whether you're a server or food runner or bartender or manager has a specific set of duties. But, um, when our restaurants are at their best, it's because everybody is sort of willing to pitch mm -hmm. in and do what needs to be done to make a guest experience great. And, uh, and I think that, like sort of growing up and, and always being someone that sort of was working and, and, and hands on, um, Island Creek was a sort of, was a great, um, sort of canvas to learn on because that was just what had to be done. Yeah. You know, there, there was no other option. And, um, and I always sort of felt comfortable in that environment. Cool. So he paints this vision for you. Um, he tells you about what he wants to do and he sees your role as the, uh, kind of director of operations or wholesale correct yeah yeah so i don't you know i think it was less about um hey i know exactly what i want this to be it was more of i'm not sure i know what i want this to be and i know that um i know that there are people out there that can help me and you know i believe that you can help me sort of mm -hmm. craft this vision and so uh i jumped in yeah sort of overseeing the the business side of the sort of wholesale uh marketing and distribution arm of all the sort of beautiful oysters that skip was growing and then we we began to work uh with not only other oyster farmers in duxbury but uh oyster farmers sort of up and down the east coast <laughs> i'm still caught up on this because you have a you went to trinity college and you majored in history Correct. and he saw you and said you can help <laughs> me with distribution and getting the word uh, out so is there Really dig. Is there anything about Shushore that made him see that potential in you? I'm just curious. Like, can That's you think such of anything? A difficult question to answer. <laughs> I mean, I felt like I didn't know anything when yeah. I was when I was 22. I mean, I didn't know anything, and um, I still feel like I don't know anything. <laughs> and uh, maybe it's just humility that he saw in you, and that's why. <laughs> yeah, perhaps. But no, I wish that there was a, a specific thing or moment where. Um, you know, where it became clear, uh, to him, but I think it was, you know, it was probably just a willingness. It was a willingness to get involved and, and get involved where the, the path, 
wasn't certain. You know, it wasn't that, okay, we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this, and then we're going to do this. Uh, it was, hey, come to work. Let's see what we can create, and, and then we'll go from there. And being 22, I said, why not? Awesome. So are we pre-2009? What, what, what's, let's put a date to this real quick. Sure. This is 2007. Okay. So what was the next thing that happened on your progression towards getting to where you are today? Yeah. So we started, you know, working on, on Island Creek and, and really what was so interesting, you know, Skip was growing such beautiful oysters and it was a time where uh, obviously people were becoming more interested in food and we were just really fortunate that uh, a lot of chefs took interest mm. in uh, in the product and and Island Creek oysters uh, was becoming was becoming known as a brand and that was really interesting and what was at first a relationship with a number of distributors all around the country really started to grow into a relationship with chefs uh, and and not too long after that we realized that that there was actually a uh, uh, sort of a consumer brand that was that was there. People were really interested and had identified with the oysters, and so we started to work to create opportunities where people could interact with Island Creek oysters. We started a, a foundation that promoted and supported uh, global aquaculture projects, and the way that we funded that was through an oyster festival on Duxbury Beach, and. You know, that was a, a moment where, you know, a few thousand people came down to Duxbury Beach and it was just amazing to see the interest in in oyster farming and in Island Creek oysters. Uh, we started an e-commerce platform where people could order oysters online into their home and that was, that was really a dream, you know, that at some point uh, oyster culture would progress uh, to a point where people would want to eat oysters in their home and 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 it has which is so amazing and and not too long after that uh so probably in 2009 uh skip and i started having really sort of loose conversations about opening an oyster bar we thought it would be a really cool way to sort of to kind of leverage the brand continue to tell our story and to sort of begin those conversations, we reached out to the people that we respected most in the industry. And one of those people was Garrett Harker, who at the time was the owner of Eastern Standard. Uh, and the other guy was Jeremy Sewell, who is a chef. And at the time, he and his wife, Lisa, owned this awesome spot in Brookline called Lineage. Jeremy was actually the first chef to ever visit the oyster farm. Oh, cool. And... Uh, and in an, again, another sort of like amazing sequence of events, all of us sort of landed together, uh, with the opportunity to open Island Creek Oyster Bar in Kenmore. And that was the sort of the, the step into, at least for me personally and for Island Creek Oysters, the step into the restaurant business. Awesome. I want to cover a few things. I want to come back to this point where we are now, uh, with you meeting all these gentlemen and forming this group. But some of the things I just want to point out, sure, listening to you talk, some of the things that really stuck out to me, uh, first was, um, I'm curious how much of an influence, uh, just starting to surround yourself with all these incredible people. I mean, some of the, the restaurants you were working with were, uh, the French laundry per se next, like all these amazing people, amazing yeah. restaurants. How did that influence you uh, into making a shift towards working in the restaurant industry? Well, I think that the sort of the commitment to excellence, the, the belief in, in sort of their abilities and, and yeah, just being so motivated by all of these amazing people doing amazing things. And that wasn't necessarily a motivation to get into the restaurant business, but it certainly was a motivation for myself and, and Skip and, and the team at Island Creek Oysters to continue to get better. You know, one of my, there are so many great little stories along the way, but one of them was Skip and I had the chance to go out to California uh, when we were working with a few chefs in San Francisco. Um, and they're, one of our favorite people who is, is no longer with us, he passed away a couple of years ago, Chris Lahamadou, who was the chef of Michael Mina, uh, in San Francisco was a previous 
uh, sous chef at the French Laundry. And it was through Chris that he arranged a meeting uh, for Skip and for me up at the French Laundry the next day wow. um, with, uh, with the chef de cuisine. Uh, of the French Laundry, and so we drove up to Yonville, and if anybody has ever been to the French Laundry, for the sort of magnitude of the restaurant, um, it is a very humble building, and uh, and so Skip and I were driving around, found a place to park, we walked in, and there we were standing in, in Chef Keller's kitchen. Oh man, what was that like? Oh, so amazing, you oh, know, man. to see all of... Um, all of the team so focused on their tasks and just executing at a high level. And it was at the sort of tail end of lunch service. And, um, and so we were talking, um, with a couple of people and one of the gentlemen that we were with sort of looked beyond me and, and said, Oh, sure. And skip, you know, you, you must know chef Keller and turned around and, um, and chef Keller was standing right there and, um, he was so gracious and he, invited us out back into the sort of into the sort of famous French laundry garden and we had the nicest conversation and um, and he has been such a incredible supporter of Island Creek oysters mm-hmm. both at per se and the French laundry um, and you know his sort of respect for the product of 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 the oysters and, and for skip and for what we were trying to do um, Again, it was just another reinforcing point that, wow, we were really sort of, there was so much opportunity. And, and if we could continue to work hard and, and stay focused and, uh, and continue to improve, um, yeah, it was, there, was a sort of, there was an interesting road ahead for us, even though it wasn't always clear what that was. Yeah. And Sorry, go ahead. No, I was going to say, and Chef Keller, he knows quality. Like, that's kind of what his thing is. He, if you watch his TEDx talk, he talks about like that butter, getting that butter from Vermont. And he just gets all the best ingredients from all over the place. And if he sees something in you, like, he, you've got to be doing something right. And I, I and, didn't mean to interrupt you, but no. And, uh, you know, he's just, he is such a gentleman. Yeah. And, um, and it has been, you know, for me and for Island Creek Oysters, you know, one of the relationships that uh, we sort of hold most dear. And, uh, and so that was just, you know, one moment. And, and to bring it back to sort of the people that I have been blessed to, um, to be around in, in sort of my career thus far, um, that's how it's always felt for me. You know, I've always felt such an honor to be in the room with people like Chef Keller or with Skip or with Garrett or with Jeremy. And, um, and that respect and that that desire to want to um, to work hard um, has always been sort of front and center for me. Yeah. Let's just reflect. I mean, I really just need to point out the significance of what can happen when you put all of your time and energy into creating something truly awesome, something truly special. And for you, that was Island Creek Oyster, creating these incredible oysters um, and caring about uh, the work you're doing and creating these foundations around it to support Aqualife. Uh, I'm not sure the correct term there, but uh, yeah. anyway, the point that I'm trying to make is if you do incredible things and you really are awesome in what you're doing, you're going to attract incredible people and you're going to start surrounding yourself with excellence. Like you said, just being these people who are committed to excellence, all these restaurant tours. And when you're surrounded by excellence and all these people, you're the average of the people you surround yourself with and you're going to just strive to be better and better and your network's going to grow massively. And because of that, look what happened today. And the other thing that I wanted to touch on earlier is you said that you started building that brand really early um, with Island Creek Oysters and your, your unique selling proposition from the very beginning was oysters. You did one thing better than anybody else. And if you focus on doing one thing amazingly and you create that brand, you can start your brand so early and just you know build off that one thing. What can you do in your community that no one's doing really well and you can do it on a smaller scale? Like you're a massive scale. You're serving, you know, like oysters are like your thing. Thing, but and there's just so much to be taken away. I'm just trying to pull back the layers of the little things I'm picking up from this conversation. Do you want to reflect on anything I just shared? I think that you're right. You know, um, I and I, I wouldn't necessarily say that that was uh, inherent in my personality. I think that mm-hmm. I've I've learned that, and that's I think a pretty interesting point. You know, Skip was so and and to this day is so committed to his craft and is so committed to growing the most beautiful oysters that um, that was really uh, inspiring for me 
you know, when we started working together, and, and even today, you know, Skip continues to be a huge source of inspiration for the restaurants, and um, <clears throat> and and that is also true with with Garrett and Jeremy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I I couldn't agree more about the opportunity to surround yourself with great people. You know, that is another one of the sort of great uh, kind of blessings of 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 my career is the opportunity to just work with incredible people. And whether those are my business partners or the teams in each of the restaurants, uh, they are just such amazing people who are so committed to their craft and committed to one another and committed to the restaurant and committed to their guests um, that it's just a joy. It's a real pleasure to sort of get up and go to work every day. And, and I feel very lucky about that. So one thing I'm curious about, sure, is one of the biggest lessons we learn on the show, and it's kind of a no brainer, is that if you are getting involved in the restaurant industry, if you want to open a restaurant, it takes capital. Um, and you started off with uh, this, this oyster farm, and I'm sure that was bringing in a decent amount of uh, money that you also started the Island Creek oyster um, direct consumer business. Uh, how much of y- your, I mean, how much were you invested? Like what, what percentage when you started partnering with people like Garrett uh, and Jeremy, like were you 50, 50? Like were you, were you the investor and were you looking for talent to expand your empire? Like how did that work up? Yeah. So from a, <clears throat> you know, from a capital standpoint, um, all of, of Island Creek Oysters was grown um, with, you know, through hard work, you know, through um, through sweat equity. It was all done really by Skip and his sort of just continued effort to kind of to grow that business. And when we came together um, for the for the restaurant partnership, um, you know, we all uh, sort of came to the table, and that was something that. Um, you know, I think that Garrett sort of highlighted right away that you know he he felt that all of us sort of being on e- on an equal playing field was really important. Mm-hmm. And um, why and is that so, important? Do you think? Why do you think he thought that was so important? You know, Garrett. Uh, you know, Garrett has taught me uh, a lot of lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things uh, in particular is is Garrett his ability with people and mm-hmm. to. Uh, understand situations and to really be focused on the kind of long-term outcomes uh, I I think are are one of his greatest traits and uh, is one of his greatest traits and so I think that he felt that the four of us sort of coming together to have a kind of lasting relationship uh, one where we were all sort of looking out for one another and and focused on the best interest of Mm -hmm of the restaurants doing so, uh, on a level playing field was, was the way to go. And, and it's, it's proven to be a great decision. You know, the four of us sort of remain really close and work really well together. And, um, so before, and, before I derailed you, where were you going with, uh, you were <laughs> talking about uh, how he wanted to make it equal. You're talking about the, uh, how you were coming together. Sorry. I kind yeah, of no, no worries. So we, um, you know, there, there was that moment, and um, and then from a capital standpoint, uh, you know, we were in a unique situation with Island Creek because we were working with um, with Boston University, who at the time owned the Hotel Commonwealth, um, and so Boston University sort of helped us uh, get that restaurant open, um, and and since then, with with the Row Thirty Fours and and the new Island Creeks. Um, and the new Island Creek in, in Burlington, you know, we have an awesome group of investors that uh, have been supportive of us uh, and sort of our vision uh, from the beginning. So, um, you know, we work with a group of, of amazing people from the kind of greater Boston area who have invested in our business and, and, and have continued to help us grow. Cool. So there was four of you, Skip, Garrett, Jeremy, and uh, yourself. Was it split 25% each way? Uh, it is. Yeah. Oh, cool. Interesting. Um, awesome. So let's talk about, uh, let's like the evolution of Island Creek Oyster Bar. Um, how long you were doing that. And then you started with your second location, Road 34. Let's talk about the evolution of the restaurants. Yeah. So, you know, Garrett and Jeremy and Skip, that, that sort of the triumvirate of oyster farmer, restaurateur and chef, 
was such an amazing point of collaboration for doing the first restaurant. And, and Island Creek Oyster Bar was about, you know, obviously Farm to Table was well underway six years ago. Mm-hmm. In fact, it probably was sort of, it, it was, it was the norm, but this idea that, um, that the sort of oyster farm could be brought to the restaurant to create an experience, uh, that was where people would know more about their oyster farmers, know more about their fishermen, know more about their winemakers mm-hmm. and their distillers. Um, with the backdrop of sort of, of Island Creek as the sort of foundation of that was that was sort of the point of departure. And um, because of the amazing work of the team uh, at, at Island Creek, um, the restaurant, you know, fortunately has, has been really well received over the years. And, um, and what we wanted to do after that was with, with row 34 was to almost uh, take a step back. Um, we often refer to row 34 as the prequel to uh, to Island Creek Oyster Bar, and just this sort of simple idea that uh, every neighborhood could have an oyster bar, and um, and so that was what gave life to to row thirty four in Fort Point. And when we sort of made the decision to open row thirty four in Fort Point, uh, that was sort of when I transitioned uh, out of sort of all of my duties down in Duxbury on the oyster farm and with Island Creek Oysters to focus on our, uh, on our restaurant business. So you opened uh, ro- or sorry, Island Creek Oyster Bar in 2013, correct? It was actually October of 2010. 10, okay, sorry. Row 34 was 2013. Row 34 was 2013. Yeah, November of 2013. So three years, uh, I mean, I think that's a good amount of time uh, to get you know your feet like planted and to really develop those roots with one restaurant before moving on to the next. But what was that transition like? Because you weren't a restaurant person. You had three years no. experience with, uh, <laughs> yeah, with uh, Island Creek Oyster Bar, but that's not a lot of time, really, three years. And then you went on with in 2013 with the Row 34 to be kind of uh, in, in charge of development and operation. Like, that's huge. That's a big leap, <laughs> sure. Like, how was that, like, experience of drinking through the fire hose and just learning? Oh, like that's exactly what it was. <laughs> that's exactly what it was. And it was, uh, it was making a lot of mistakes. Um, you know, one of the things about um, – our business and and I think that this really stems from uh, on the restaurant side from Garrett and uh, and Jeremy you know our organization is set up for people to to take risks and 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 potentially fall on their face and make mistakes mm-hmm. and that's no different for for me and row 34 in Boston was the first project that I had sort of uh, been in out front on, uh, along with Garrett and Jeremy. Um, and it was seriously drinking from the fire hose. You know, I, I, I did not know very much about, um, about sort of restaurant development, but was really blessed had obviously Garrett and Jeremy as sort of incredible resources. And then, um, a few other sort of key mentors that helped, uh, me and helped us navigate through that process. And, uh, as I, you know, as I said before, made a lot of mistakes, learned a ton about, um, about the development side of the restaurant business. Um, and, and fortunately, you know, we got row 34 open and, um, and have had a, a lot of fun with that restaurant so far. So one of the big lessons we've learned here at Restaurant Unstoppable is this, the significance of surrounding yourself with mentors and picking the right people to work with or work for. Um, what was this transition being the mentee working with somebody like Garrett Harker? Like how did he work with you? How did he develop you? Yeah. So, you know, I think that one of the ways that Garrett helped me was to, to give me a pretty long leash, you know, was to let me go out and, fall on your butt a few uh, times <laughs> yeah exactly exactly and um and then sort of come back to him and say hey um you know this is working this isn't working uh and and where do you think we should go and uh and the same with jeremy too and i would say that that is very much uh 
how our relationship is today. Um, you know, the, the problems or the challenges might be different, but um, it's very much we are sort of out kind of doing our respective duties, and then we come back together and say, hey, um, this particular situation, how should I approach it? Uh, this particular situation is going great. This is something that needs attention. And and so um, I would say that in terms of how I was, as, as a mentee, um, how I learned from Garrett was, it was, yeah, through mistakes, and but it was also through... Uh, through conversation and through education and through, you know, not really judging. Uh, I never felt like Garrett was like, oh, God, this is really bad. You know, we um, would just work through situations. And um, and that was how I learned. And I feel like I'm still learning every day. You know, I don't mm. think that that slows down at all. So when he was giving you these objectives or working with you and giving you this long leash and sending you out on your own to kind of tackle these projects – was it giving you like a, a picture, like a, a goal, so like a like a something to work towards? Like how did that that all go down? Yeah, I think that you know one of the things that's nice about restaurant that about uh, building restaurants in particular is that there are very defined benchmarks that you have to achieve um, or that you have to reach, and so that provides the that provides the, the road that you have to go down. You know, ideally it's that the restaurant is going to open on uh, this date because that's when you have to start paying rent or something mm-hmm. like that. And um, how we, and so I knew, we knew what the objective was, you know, and it was just, it was the thousands of decisions along the way that allowed us to get to that end objective. That is, um, those were the conversations that we were ha- we would have and, and, uh, some of those are sort of kind of fundamental, like nuts and bolts mm-hmm. of these are certain decisions that need to be made around the lease or around um, construction decisions. Uh, other Others would be more esoteric conversations about what we want Row 34 to be as, uh, as a restaurant, what it's going to feel like, what we want people to think about, uh, areas of emphasis. And, um, you know, Garrett and Jeremy are great at, at creating places, um, that, that feel something that communicate something, uh, and to, to a guest. And, um, it's really fun to kind of be a part of that. I'm the least creative guy in the group by a mile. <laughs> so, um, let me ask, uh, with the second row 34 opening in Portsmouth, New Hampshire, how is that experience different from say the transition from opening your first location to the second location, like what, how did you evolve opening that third location? Yeah, it was so interesting. We knew with um, with Row Thirty Four, or not that we knew, but we hoped with Row Thirty Four that we might be able to to do another one. And um, and Portsmouth was a community that we all sort of fell in love with just kind of in transit. You know, I feel like anybody that's going north, Portsmouth is a great place to stop off Mm -hmm. at. And there is a vibrancy to Portsmouth that felt, actually, I compare it a lot to Fort Point uh, in Boston. And the scale is a little bit different, but it's a community with such great history and such great people. Um, And it's at an interesting moment now. You know, there's a lot of development in Portsmouth, um, there are a lot of things that are going on uh, there that there is an energy in Portsmouth right now um, that you can almost feel when you're sort of walking down the street. And um, and those are sort of, I, I think that those moments in those neighborhoods are um, are interesting places mm-hmm. for, um, for our restaurants. And so with doing the second Row 34, obviously it was sort of the first time that um, that we had replicated ourselves. You know, Garrett has uh, Eastern Standard uh, and the Hawthorne. Uh, Jeremy has Lineage. So it was a collection of, of, of individual concepts. So this idea of creating a second location uh, was a really interesting one. And, and we felt like Portsmouth was an awesome place to, to go and do that where we could sort of contribute to the community, uh, Oysters, and oyster bars are sort of so complementary to what's going on 
in a in a food scene that we just wanted to go up there and help be a part of the dialogue around the cool things that are happening in Portsmouth and and so we made the decision to do it and um, it was it was challenging you know I thought I think we all thought that all of the lessons that we had learned in Boston would just easily translate up to Portsmouth and um, and we you know we made some missteps along the way uh, which were great like moments of, of learning and and so I think one of the things that we learned was we really needed to sort of uh, hone in on what row 34 is and sort of what are the elements that we want to take with us up to Portsmouth um, and and so we got the restaurant open and, and we've been so pleased with the the first year that we've had out there Portsmouth has been an awesome town and so supportive of the restaurant now it's it's cool that you, you bring that up talking about the support you're getting from the community because you um, you know Portsmouth is a very tight knit community and it, it's, it was yeah. really well known for its food scene before you ever got there. Uh, and I'm only, my knowledge is only so deep in this because I'm from New Hampshire. I know Portsmouth. I've worked in Portsmouth. Uh, and I know that at the same time, uh, Jay McSherry was open up, opening up the Franklin Oyster House. I mean, how hard was it to break into a marketplace that had being this this restaurant group that's known nationwide as a big dog, right? Garrett Harker has all these like he's a, he's a he was nominated for you know restaurant tour of the year uh, or outstanding restaurant tour 2015 was he nominated? I can't maybe even yeah, this year he's too. been nominated a couple of years, yeah, yeah. So to to come into the stomping ground like that's not really familiar with. You know, Garrett Harker's name is very tied to Boston, right? Um, and having the the you know the uh, reputation with the original Row Thirty Four, how was that transition? How how welcoming was that community? And was there any kind of uh, did you you know run into any trouble there with the two oyster bars opening at the same time? I mean, Jay McSherry, you know, I mean he he has a reputation in that town, so he was doing something very similar. Yeah, so we were just you know I certainly don't have any control over what's going on. Yeah around us and and I think that what we we knew that all we could do was um, just uh, put our heads down and work to um, to to allow the community to sort of get to know us to sort of extend ourselves out into the community and get to know people and I give a ton of credit to uh, our team in Portsmouth uh, Molly Woodhouse who's our general manager and and Nicole Fisher who uh, is our chef de cuisine. You know, they're so root, firmly rooted in the restaurant community there um, that they were just incredible ambassadors uh, of Row 34. And and one of the things that's fun about Row 34 is um, it is about the place that the restaurant is in. Um, and so we just sort of, we flung open the doors and wanted to make sure that people felt comfortable and had a good time. And that is really it's a it's a simply a complicated mission in that way and um, it's just it is a credit to our team of, of how well uh, they sort of they work day in and day out taking care of people you know preparing delicious food and and taking good care of people and um, and it, yeah it's been fun to watch that restaurant sort of grow and evolve. Yeah, and um, you had mentioned just then that you said that you were settling in your roots. And that's so huge to become a part of the community. So how, give me some examples of some of the things you did to settle your roots into this community. Yeah. So I think, well, one thing is, um, and, and this is less about, um, this is a bit of a sidebar, but you know, Gary, uh, Jeremy and I moved up to Portsmouth, um, for four months to, oh, cool. to get the restaurant open. And, uh, part of that is just, we wanted to, uh, you know, be there and to be a part of of that process and to work with the team and to sort of, you know, shake out all the bugs as, as a restaurant gets open. Um, and that was sort of the first point of, uh, of departure. And beyond that, the, the team has just done such a great job of, of making people feel comfortable. And I think that that's the biggest thing, that initially – People thought, oh dear, you know, here is this big um, Boston restaurant uh, coming to Portsmouth. But in fact, um, it isn't a big Boston restaurant. Um, you know, we are 
a neighborhood restaurant <laughs> up there, and um, as and we wanted people to feel like Row Thirty Four was accessible, and I think we've we've done a good job uh, accomplishing that. And um, and other things, you know, there are the other things of just getting out in the community and participating, and uh, the you know Aaron Mahoney, who is um, our bar manager up there, she is out participating in competitions, and there are various charity events that we are involved in up there and um and so it's been fun it's been really fun getting to know a new community both from a team standpoint but also uh you know learning our new friends our neighbors mm. who have become regulars and are part of the dna of that restaurant now not just your guests but one thing i, I saw you guys do which i thought was really interesting and a great way to sell your roots uh you invite other chefs in the community to come cook at your restaurant. You had uh, Gary Kim from Anju come and cook and he's just over the bridge in Kittery. And um, what's the impact of doing that? What's that say when you open your doors and you collaborate with other restaurants like that? Yeah, this is such a great um, thing that the team did this winter. Uh, you know, guest chef series are not anything new to the, um, to the restaurant mm -hmm. uh, community, but we just, we thought it would be such a great way to, uh, to reach out to, to other restaurants and say, um, "Hey, come spend a night with us." And uh, and for us, it's it's as much about the opportunity for our teams to learn from from that visiting chef, be it uh, you know Chef Kim from Anjou. Um, we had so many great visitors this winter, and uh, it just brought a sort of vibrancy to that Tuesday night each week, and it was an opportunity for. Uh, our team to learn from the visiting chef and also uh, for that chef and maybe some of uh, that chef's like friends and family to come spend a night in the restaurant. And, uh, you know, I'm sure it's something we'll do again this winter because it was really fun. Awesome. So uh, before we move on to the speed round, I just want to get a time. You said, I mean, you opened with the quote saying that, you know, your setbacks are the, what set you up for your successes. I don't think I said it right, but, uh, <laughs> so tell me about one of these setbacks where you just really fell hard on your ass shore and how did you get back up? Yeah. So, you know, there are, there are big ones and there are little ones. And, um, I think that the little ones are, are, like I said, just a part of every day. Um, early on at Island Creek, I remember we had a, we had a member of our team that was really sort of like culturally misaligned with with the place that we were trying to build at Island Creek, and and it was the first time that Skip or I had ever sort of like come up against that, and um, and we didn't really know how to deal with it, and the the challenge was, or I think that the failure was that sort of we <clears throat> that that person stayed. At, at Island Creek too long and it really eroded and sort of undermined a lot of the culture that we were trying to build mm. at Island Creek and 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 the lesson there was really you know we hear about culture so much in this day and age uh, you know office culture company culture restaurant culture um, and it really is something to be cherished and sort of valued and it takes a long time to build but someone that is uh, is misaligned uh, can really do some damage, and and it and it did, and that is something that we learned um, kind of the hard way, you know, just from letting that person stay for too long, and you know, ultimately that person left Island Creek, and and we were sort of able to kind of get back to that feeling that we sort of kind of know and loved and cherished, and were able to to overcome it, and and I think culturally. Uh, Island Creek was much stronger as as a result of that, but that was a that was a big lesson for me. Yeah, and real quick, how can somebody who's misaligned with your your culture? How do they destroy that culture? What are some of the things that they can do to really just offset your culture? Yeah, I think in a in a in a sort of young, kind of growing, fast paced, kind of hectic environment, um, people have to feel like everybody is participating that everybody is sort of focused on the same objectives and when you have someone that is outside of that realm maybe they're sort of like standing looking in uh it just creates it it shakes the vibe a little bit and at island creek you know what we wanted 
in the early days, and and I'm sure Skip would still say today, you know, the the idea that we could fill that room with really smart people who wanted to like help make Island Creek better, um, that was sort of the goal. And for people who, you know, having someone that was a little bit more sort of self oriented uh, was not a great teammate. Um, it just threw a little kind of wrench in the wheel, so to speak. And, um, and what did this person do, uh, that threw the wrench? Like, give me a specific example. Yes, name think, names. Yeah, of course. It was just the person that would sort of stand in judgment of, mm. of their teammates, you know, that, uh, when everybody was sort of about to roll up their sleeves to go and do some tasks, this person would say, well, I don't think I want to do that right now. Or, uh, that's not my job or something oh, like that. I hate those words. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst. Oh it's man. The worst. Yeah. Uh, so that, you know, it was, it was examples like that. Yeah. And real quick, you mentioned, um, you, you want to make sure everybody is working so- towards the same objectives. You want to make those objectives clear. What's the best way to make objectives clear? Yeah, that's a, this, that's a great question. I, I, you know, there are a lot of different ways to get at that. And I think, um, there are the sort of macro objectives and then there are sort of the daily objectives. And, um, and I think that that's particularly true in restaurants because you, know, you have the sort of the, the service at hand, you know, tonight's dinner service, for example, that you want that to, you know, go a certain way and be successful. But then there are the broader sort of objectives that could be cultural, that could be uh, education-based, that could be uh, like growth and sort of leadership development. And... Um, I think the biggest thing that is important is to just articulate that, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's to a group or to an individual to say, hey, <clears throat> this is where we're trying to go. Uh, this is how we think we're going to get there. You know, the path may not be clear. The path may not be in a straight line, uh, but this is what we're hoping to accomplish. And um, and also leaders, I think, have to be um, sort of cultural beacons as well, you know, that 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 people can identify with that they're going to want to go to battle with uh, on a sort of day in and day out basis. Do you put these things in your vision, your mission? Is it like something that's known from the very beginning when people join your team? Like this is who we are. This is our objective, our our objectives. This is where we're going. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. So each of the restaurants does have that. So it's, you know, if someone goes to work uh, or, or wants to come work that it's sort of stated, you know, what is this restaurant all about? What is its DNA? And, um, and so we do state that for people. Awesome. Um, so sorry, we're running out of time. I mean, I could just ask so many questions. You're giving us so much great advice. We're gonna take a quick break to thank our sponsors and we'll be back, uh, for the knowledge bombs. I cannot wait. We'll be right back. When you're running a busy restaurant, it's pretty hard to find time for training. Well, Tipsy has a whole library of video courses from industry experts, including world barista champions, marketing gurus, and customer service superstars. Get your staff watching Tipsy courses and watch their growth help your business. With Tipsy, scheduling training, tracking skills growth, and measuring engagement is a piece of cake. In the hospitality industry, we never have enough time, so training often falls away. But as management legend Andy Grove says, the only two ways to improve performance are training and motivation. Tipsy provides both. Click the Tipsy banner in the show notes to find out more. Because your Restaurant Unstoppable listeners, you'll receive a special 50% off your first month. What are you waiting for? Get on it. We are back. And the first question I have for you, sure, is what is some of the or what are some of the it factors, habits, traits, characteristics you believe most contribute to your success? I would say for me, um, there are a couple of things. One is uh, just kind of figuring out how to work, organization, sort of workflow. Um, Anybody that's in the restaurant business will know that there's just kind of an onslaught of various duties and uh, people and things that need to be done. So figuring out how to sort of prioritize those things and accomplishing uh, sort of tasks in certain order, that's been a big help. And then accessibility. Um, I really, uh, it's sort of, I think, a, a mission of mine and also um, of the rest of sort of the leaders in, in our business to be accessible for our team, sort of mm-hmm. that we're there when they need us to be there. Do you use a lot of lists in your life? 
Don't even get me started. <laughs> what are some of the tools? Uh, just real quick, are, do you use any apps or any kind of tricks or like? Yeah, um, I'm a big um, Wonderlist user. Ooh. I don't know, uh, not you know, I'm not uh, endorsing Wonderlist, but uh, yeah, Wonderlist is a like a, a a tool that it's a task sort of organizer, and it's how I stay keeps me organized with the different restaurants and uh, and the other things that we have going on. And how I mean how significant is it just writing things down uh, and being able to keep track of things? I think it's important because, you know, if, if, if I'm spending time thinking about what I should be doing, uh, then I'm just sort of wasting that time. Mm -hmm. So if I know that everything that I need to be doing is sort of down somewhere, then I can just get to work in, in, in doing those yeah. things. And these apps are really significant. People used to say carry a pen and paper with you, but you might not always have that, but you're almost always going to have your phone with you. And you can download the app. Like you said, Wonderlist is a great one. I use Evernote, which is another yep. awesome tool. Yeah, Evernote's great. Uh, and I also use Workflowy, which is more basic for my list. So those are just a couple yep. of tools you can use. So the next question I have for you, sure. What is your biggest or what is your biggest weakness? You just shared some of your strengths, but what's your weakness? Oh gosh, probably too many to acknowledge in one uh, in one way. Uh, I think that my biggest weakness is probably that I'm sometimes too quick to jump in. Mm. You know that, um, as I mentioned earlier, you know Garrett is great about sort of giving uh, his various team members a, a long leash, and um, and I'm trying to learn that. You know that sometimes people are going to fall and make mistakes and that might be more important than jumping in and sort of getting it, getting it right. Yeah. And it's funny you say that because sometimes people say your biggest weaknesses are your biggest strengths. And, uh, that uh, just jumping in, I think is a huge, uh, strength too sometimes because it forces you to take a risk <laughs> and you do things without really thinking, but then you, you start and that's the biggest challenge in this industry is just getting started. Right. And then, Absolutely. and then you start drinking from the fire hose like you did earlier. But if you surround yourself with the right people, like you did, it becomes way easier. So awesome stuff. Yeah. And absolutely. <clears throat> you know, you hit on a good point is, um, you know, you can, you could whiteboard something to death. You know, sometimes you just got to start. Sometimes you yeah. just got to take a leap and, and know that it might not be great initially, but you'll be able to sort of learn as you go. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what is one piece of advice you have for leading others? I would say, don't be afraid to make mistakes. You know, um, don't be afraid, even as a leader, you know, that, uh, there might be a time where you misjudge a situation and, and that's fine. But, um, being sort of grounded and honest, uh, I think is a, is a big, is a big key. And how important is it to admit those mistakes when they're made? You have to, there's no way around it. Awesome. Uh, what is one question or thing that, uh, you look for or a question you ask or something you're looking for during the interview process? We obviously interview a lot, you know, uh, you know, uh, Eric from being in the restaurant business, uh, hiring and interviewing is just an ongoing part of our daily life. And so, um, you, we, we do a lot of interviews and, um, and I get the chance to, to interview a lot of really cool people. And I think what's so interesting about interviews is obviously people are trying to sell themselves. You know, they're trying to talk about all of the sort of the reasons why they're a great fit for, um, for one of the restaurants. And, um, so I love asking people about moments in their life where something didn't work. Um, so that could be, uh, the question, you know, asking someone, Hey, <clears throat> what was your biggest failure and why, um, and what did that teach you? And, you know, obviously you, uh, have honed in on that, yeah. that yourself. It's such an interesting point for people to reflect on. Do you ask them why they fell on their ass? <laughs> <laughs> I've not, but I may incorporate that. <laughs> okay. Go for it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I will credit you accordingly. <laughs> awesome. Um, so, uh, what are some of the current challenges, uh, you're experiencing and how are you preparing for those challenges or dealing with those challenges? Yeah, I think with, um, you know, with two projects on the horizon for us, uh, growth is sort of the current, I wouldn't call it a, a challenge, but that's, that's what we're going through. You know, we're gearing up for another growth spurt and, um, and I feel like with every step, uh, in sort of our journey, uh, you know, you just learn new things. And so with, with growth, one of the things that we're really focused on is kind of continuing to build the infrastructure that supports all of the restaurants. Um, all of the restaurants are very 
sort of uh, autonomous in their sort of creativity, and we love that. You know, we want the restaurants to feel autonomous and to be um, to be like restless creative beings. And um, so, balancing that with some of the more mundane infrastructure that's required for restaurants. Um, Can you, you give know, me some examples of uh, infrastructure? Like, what, what do you mean by that? Yeah, sure. Uh, accounting, bookkeeping, uh, HR, uh, people development, facilities, uh, all of those things that just have to get done on a day-in and day-out basis. How do we sort of centralize those to make sure that we're doing them as sort of efficiently and effectively mm. as possible, but not getting in the way of the restaurant's uh, what the DNA of those restaurants are, which is ultimately, uh, you know, taking care of people. Awesome. What is one thing besides oysters? Your restaurant does really well that separates you from other restaurants. Oh, wow. That's a hard question. Um, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to say our people, I, I think that, um, our people are, are, it sounds so cliched that, you know, our people are our biggest asset, but I really feel that way. You know, whether it's uh, Jillian, who is the GM uh, at Row 34, or Nikki Hobson, who is the chef de cuisine at Island Creek, you know, they're just such professionals and so committed to their craft um, on, on a really sort of day-in and day-out basis. You know, Eric, it's such an amazing thing uh, to basically sort of reset the clock every day. You know, when you step foot in a restaurant, the sort of the slate is clear and to bring that level of, of just commitment every day is, uh, is not for everybody. And, um, and our teams do such a good job with that. So that's what I would say gives us a competitive edge. Awesome. Why do you, oh man, should I dive deeper? We're running out of time. <laughs> what's <laughs> one real quick, too. real quick. What's one thing? Why do you think that people want to come work for you? What, what is it about you that attracts the right people? I don't think it's me at all. Uh, I think um, I think that you know, with the opportunity to come and learn from Garrett, the opportunity to come and learn from Jeremy, um, and now the opportunity to come and learn from like some of the other people that I have mentioned uh, in the last hour. Um, it's it's that that you can come and and uh, you know join our organization and and you can learn. You know, it, it is such a culture of education. <clears throat> because that is what our uh, that's what our industry is all about, and so I think people come there because they can learn, and then because they can also, um, you know, that there may be opportunities down the road that they can get on a path where they can grow and uh, be restaurant. So many bombs in here, so many awesome bombs. Sure, like <laughs> become some. If you want to open a great restaurant, if you want to have a great restaurant, become somebody great, and you will attract greatness to you and create that culture of education where you're investing in making other people great. Awesome stuff. Uh, what's one piece of techno? Or sorry, skip the question by accident. What's one book we must read to become a better person or a restaurant professional? Uh, so I, I couldn't limit it to three. I feel like I'm obligated to say setting the table mm -hmm. because that is, you know, as everybody knows, a, in, in our world, pretty defining book on hospitality and culture by Danny Meyer. The other two that I'm going to throw out there is, um, there is one book by David Brooks called the, um, the social animal, which I think is an awesome book that just delves into why people sort of are the way that they are. And then my last book is this book called The Power of Habit, which um, mm. I think is an awesome book, which that, I think everybody should read. That book pops up every time I open Audible. That book's like on the recommended. Does it really? Yeah, and it's been like glaring at me, and I've been wanting to tackle it, but I've got this list of books people are recommending. I got to yeah, move that one to the top. On our, anybody on our team listens to this, they're going to roll their eyes because I'm always quoting The Power of Habit. Always. <laughs> Just one bomb from that book that you can share with us. Sure, with yeah. So when you're learning something new, for the first time, uh, the portion of your brain that is sort of most engaged is the cerebral cortex, you know, the sort of front part mm -hmm. of your brain. Um, and it requires a ton of energy to power that, the cerebral cortex. So, um, you know, when we're going through a restaurant opening, for example, everybody feels really tired. They feel tired for two reasons. One, you know, it's, it's a grind to open a restaurant, but two, um, you're just learning something new constantly, mm -hmm. and it um, and it requires a ton of energy. And I'm when I say energy, I mean like you are actually burning more mm -hmm. calories. Um, when something becomes a habit, 
it actually moves like further back into the deeper portions of your brain mm -hmm. um, that regulate things like heartbeat and when to take a breath. And um, those sort of more core functions um, require less energy. And so it's a pretty interesting um, it's a pretty interesting thing. Guys, create habits of excellence. And when yeah. you do that, it just becomes easier. Like you say, it's, the, it's work at first, but if you can create those you know habits of excellence, it becomes less painful and more easy. Great stuff. Uh, what's one piece of technology uh, you've adopted in your restaurants that's just really had a huge impact, making you more efficient, more effective, or more uh, profitable? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, there's this balance right now in restaurants between we are sort of inundated with technology opportunities mm -hmm. um, and the sort of balance between the one of the great joys about restaurants and what will always be a great joy about restaurants is it's a group of people sitting down at a table sharing food mm -hmm. and sharing drink and technology isn't going to ever get in the way of that, uh, hopefully. Um, <laughs> Keep your fingers so, crossed. Yeah, exactly. So I think we look at technology from the standpoint of the guest. You know, how can we, we make decisions around technology that make makes a guest experience better and so um you know there are new products in the marketplace like reserve for example um which is they now have a table management solution as well as a reservation platform um that uh we have adopted that you know is really um i think is great for guests is great for diners and so um we evaluate all like technology solutions uh from the standpoint of uh, of how is it going to help their, a guest sort of interact with us. Awesome. I love it. So we're at uh, 9.05 right now. Shore told me he had to be off the phone at 9.10. So we're going to rush through the rest of these <laughs> questions real quick. If it seems rushed, that's why. So um, with all the knowledge you have now, Shore, in the past six years of being in the restaurant industry, if you could go back in time and give yourself one piece of business advice, what would it be? Uh, business is not a straight line. Uh, business is a sort of messy, uh, curvy line, and um, and I have grown to sort of appreciate and love that. You know, again, just to drop another terrible cliche on you, it is like it is about the journey. And um, I think when I was 22, uh, starting with Skip, you know, this idea that you know you could just look down the down the road and and sort of know exactly where you were going to get get to and. Um, and that it was going to be easy and that it was going to come overnight. Um, that is the great fun about business is mm -hmm. the sort of is the day in and day out um, figuring out sort of the direction that you're going to go in. And so that is the advice I give myself. It's not a straight line. I love it. I really do. And uh, it's so true. It, when you're creating incredible experiences for other people, you create incredible experiences for yourself. And that's why I love that this industry so much. Um, it's that journey. Like you say, those experiences. Definitely. Awesome. What is one question you think I could ask that would make this interview better? You, you crushed it, man. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if there is one that can be added. Um, I think, uh, <clears throat> no, I, I think you, what I love about the podcast is it, it, it does provide uh, an opportunity for people to hear from peers, and uh, and I think that the just the sort of authenticity of that conversation is is what's so powerful for people. So great job, thanks, brother. I really do appreciate that reassurance. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, so, who's one person or two people you admire in this industry and look up to, and just think would be a great guest mentor on the show, like you've been for us today? Yeah, I'm going to throw out um, a. A woman on our team whose name is Molly Hopper Sandroff. She is our director of people, and she is uh, and a just an amazing team member, a great, as I mentioned, sort of like cultural beacon for everybody, and someone that is so committed to making our teams and the restaurant industry a better place. And so uh, I'm going to offer her up. She's my person that I think would be a great person to chat with. That would be my first director of people on the show. Look out, Molly. I'm coming after you. And yes. I've, I've also had Garrett on the show. We talked a lot about Garrett. Yeah. Uh, he yeah. was episode 71. So head over to restaurantstoppable.com slash 71. You'll be able to find that interview. It was a great interview. He's an awesome guy. Um, and we're at 908. We've got two minutes. What's the best way to connect with you? Uh, follow me on Instagram at Shore Gregory. And come see us in one of the restaurants. And if people are uh, 
are interested in, in joining our teams, um, you can visit any of the restaurant websites, and there's information on there about how you can come and, uh, and join our team. Dude, I want to join your team. I love you Let's guys. Let's go. Let's go. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, so this is episode 248. So head over to restaurantunstoppable.com slash 248. You'll find the links to everything we discussed, the books, the tools you recommended, and a summary of today's discussion all right there. It's 9.09. i got to let you go. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us today. Uh, there's no questioning, sure. You are unstoppable. Thanks, Eric. Cheers. There's another episode wrapped up here at Restaurant Unstoppable. I hope you guys enjoyed it. So a couple of things before I let you go. I'm now offering free one-on-one 15-minute chats. If you want to get inspired, if you need to get just a little motivation, or if you have some questions about some of the things we talked about on the show, you can now chat with me for free 15 minutes. Head over to Restaurant Unstoppable to find the links. Don't forget that we have a complete list of all the books and resources our past guests have recommended. These are the books they read, the resources and tools they're using in their restaurant, the tools that are helping them be successful, a whole list archived right there at restaurantunstoppable.com. Don't forget to use my links if you really want to give back to the show. If you want to show your appreciation for all these episodes I'm putting out, the best way to support the show is to simply use my links when you discover something new that can help you in your restaurant. Thank you in advance. Also, keep those five-star reviews on iTunes and Stitcher Radio coming. And I can't finish without reminding you to keep those emails coming. I love your emails. They fire me up. They keep me going. Tell me who you want to hear from tell me what you love about the show tell me anything i'm here for you just shoot me an email eric at restaurantunstoppable.com all right that's all we have for today i hope you're enjoying this journey as much as i am thanks again for joining me until next time peace out